What's up, Blueprint? How you guys doing today? You guys doing all right? Good. I am excited um, about, you know, doing what we're going to talk about today. And really, honestly, I got to confess and admit, I've, I think it's, I've said it multiple times, that I'm always excited about this series, DNA series and DNA Sundays. And from of you, some of you who are new um, to Blueprint, you may hear, be here for the first time, or you may have been here for only a couple of weeks. Um, actually, I believe that this is the best time to come to Blueprint, you know, because it's, we, we want to be really clear on kind of who we are and what we're about, you know. And so every August, we've been doing it for about five years now, every August we stop, we pause, and we take time to just say, hey, this is who we are. Because when we talk about Blueprint, we say a call to membership is a call to discipleship. And that if you are, if you are a part of this church or a desire or looking for a church, or if you are a member of the church, basically we want to be really clear of where we're going as disciple makers or as a, as a church. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus was really clear that in following him where he was going, he says, in following me, my desire, my aim, my heart for you is to become fishermen, fishers of men. And so in the same way, we believe at Blueprint um, in what we call the DNA. And, and when we talk about the DNA in this series, each and every year, we, um, we do what we name this series is Reset, Rediscovering Our Identity. And we just get a chance to take the time to go over what we would consider our DNA. You know, we have this Sunday, we have next Sunday. So I have two more times to say it. So bear with us and continue, you know, to, to hear because we feel like this is vitally important for who we are. And I really believe that who um, you are as those of you who claim the name of Jesus. And so at Blueprint, basically, um, this is what our, our heart is and this is what our desire is. And so the goal for us each and every DNA Sundays is that we can take every single member online in Stone Mountain, here in the Fourth Ward, that we can place them in the all separate rooms that they would be very clear on where we're going. They would be very clear on who we are. And when we talk about that, what we are saying is this, basically, and this is our DNA, is that we believe that the gospel changes people and God uses people to change the world. We don't have a new gospel. We don't have anything to do. All you got to do is look at your Bible. That's our playbook. That's our manual. That is the good news that we have. We don't do, uh, we don't have a lot. We put all of our trust and our confidence in the word. He said his word will not return void. And we believe that the apologetic of our day is authenticity. So what we're basically saying is that if we allow the gospel truly to change us, that we would be conduits of God's grace, we would be champions, we would be ambassadors, we would be his missionaries and be used to change the world. And so we believe that the gospel changes people and God uses people to change the world. And so our mission, the reason why we exist as a church is to unleash healthy people to do ministry where life exists. And so that's, that's exactly what we're doing. It's like we, let, we read last week in Ephesians chapter um, 4 and 11, he says he has given some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And so what we would, being a part of Blueprint, basically, we believe that it's our job collectively as a church is to unleash you to do ministry where you live, where you work, where you play. So at Blueprint Church, we don't have a lot of ministries. We don't have a men's ministry or women's ministry. We don't have a lot of these things to come to bring you here. Our focus, our desire, and our heart is that you, God has given you a ministry platform. And that's where you live, that's where you work, and that's where you play. 
And that if we embrace and understand who you are in Christ, that it's our responsibility to equip you to be missionaries there, where you live, where you work, and where you play. And so this is really our heart and our desire to believe, understanding that the gospel changes people and God uses people to change the world. So therefore, it's our mission as a church to unleash healthy people, to do ministry where life exists. And when the way we talk about health is that it's defined by people who are growing in the gospel, in the context of family, while on mission. That in any time in your life, that the most time that you are growing in the Lord, I guarantee those three things were present. You were growing in the gospel. You was growing in your relationship with Christ. You were growing in your relationship with other believers, and you were growing in your relationship with your neighbors. You had purpose. You had purpose. And so in here, basically, what we say is that we aim. We don't have values here at the church. We have aims because in discipleship, our aim, our target, we're saying that if you were to come to Blueprint Church and be a part of our church and our ministry, our goal is that we can take any believer, and if all they had was a Bible, that we can parachute them to any remote island, and they will be the only believer in the midst of all non-believers, and they'll be able to spark a movement for Jesus. They'll be able to spark a movement. But you think, well, that's not real. But really, that is real. Because that's where you are, whether you are on your campus, whether you're at your job, whether you're in your neighborhood. Oftentimes, you're the only believer in the midst of all non-believers. But the question is, are we going to allow God to use us to spark a movement for him? And so what we say is a healthy person is growing in the gospel in the context of family while on mission. So we aim for four things. And that's really what we've been talking about over these last few weeks is that one is that we are gospel-centered believers. That the gospel reshapes the way we think, the way we live, the way we act, that way we play, that it reshapes our identity both individually but also collectively. That we're gospel-centered believers. Second is that, that we don't get saved to be in isolation. We are saved to be a part of God's family. And in God's family is that the church is not like family, but the church is family. And as responsible siblings, we recognize that God is our father, Jesus is our elder brother, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are what we call responsible siblings, that we are responsible for you. You're responsible for me, and I'm responsible for you, right? And so we're responsible siblings. We're gospel-centered believers. We're responsible siblings. And third, we are indigenous disciple-makers. And as indigenous disciple-makers, we intentionally seek to make disciples where we live, where we work, and where we play. That we're intentionally, our goal, wherever we are, we are God's missionaries. And that's why this year we have one collective goal. One collective goal as a church that you will hear all throughout the year, and it's simply this, is that we need to shift our mindset. We need to shift the collective mentality from a family of members to a family of missionary disciple makers. That we are missionaries that have been called to make disciples. God gave us a commission to go, to make disciples of all nations. And it's called the, um, the Great Commission, to make disciples disciples. And so when we talk about our aims, we say that God is called, as we're gospel-centered believers, we're responsible siblings, and we're indigenous disciples. Because everything we do is aimed at one of those three. And then the last one, which we're going to be talking about today, is that we are also generous stewards. We're generous stewards. Why is that the last one? 
Because what, basically we say that Christianity is not a religion, but it's about relationships. Relationships. It's relationship with God as gospel-centered believers. Relationship with other believers as responsible siblings. And relationship with our neighbors as indigenous disciple makers. Last week we talked about not being two-thirds Christians. And it was kind of a joke, but it's real because many of us think that if we're just good with God and we have a good community, that we're good. But see, God said to go and make disciples. And the idea of us being sent ones, we are sent to go and to make disciples. And really, I believe that many of us are not experiencing the abundant life that God has called us to because we have embraced a two-third Christianity where we're good with God, we're good with family, but we just in the night, we don't want to push our beliefs on our neighbors. And we bought into the relativism of our day. So we're not on mission. We have made Christianity a privatized faith. And so ultimately, why we say is that as a gospel sin believer, a responsible sibling, and an indigenous disciple maker, now a generous steward is that a generous steward is that we manage our time, our talent, and our treasure to fulfill God's purposes. That's the Christian life. I don't care what church you go to, I don't care where you go, basically it is about relationship with God, relationship with other believers, and relationship with your neighbor, and how you leverage your time, your talent, and your treasures to cultivate those three relationships. That's the Christian life. And God says that the relationships ought to be known by love. Love. And so this is kind of where we are. This is why we take every year to repeat, recycle, say the same things over and over again and recognizing that. And so today we're going to take a deep dive in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 15 to 21. So if you have your Bibles, let's go there to Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. Next week there's going to be a test on what I just went over. I just gave you the test. So just know that there's going to be a test. You can also go to our website and look at our DNA, and it's all there. And we're going to do a pop quiz, like seriously. <laughs> so we are excited to do this. So let me pray and ask the Lord to be with us as we seek to learn about what it means to be generous to us. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity. Thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you. Lord, that we can continually to come back to your faithfulness and to your word and to what you've called us to be, Lord. Thank you for the book of Ephesians. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for um, these brothers and sisters that are in here. Thank you for those who have not named the name of Jesus, Father. We pray, God, that today, Father, might be the day, Lord, that they would surrender their lives to you. Father, we um, take this time and we go to your word so that we may hear from you. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, as you speak to us, Lord, that your name would be glorified. It's in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name that we pray. Amen. And amen. So basically what we said, or one of our primary goals is that we want to shift the collective mentality from a family of members to a family of missionary disciple makers, that you are a missionary, that no matter, you don't have to go overseas, even though we would love to send you overseas. You don't have to go anywhere. Basically, what I love about the New Testament in the Great Commission, he says, as you are going, basically, or having gone, 
make disciples, that it is a command, understanding that we are following Christ. So wherever God or wherever Christ leads us, we recognize that we are to make disciples. This is the very thing that Jesus, um, or that Paul, basically we see where if Paul was in a university town, guess what? College students were coming to know the Lord. If Paul was shipwrecked, guess what? The, pers- the other people on the boat were going to come to know the Lord. Where- wherever Paul was, he was going to make disciples. Why? Because he recognized that it's an identity, that missions is not something that we do. It's something that of who we are. The enemy has tricked us because we have, he has taught us to think that to be a missionary is to go on a trip. But to be a missionary is who you are. And from the time that you have been saved in Christ, he has sent you to go. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And so, you know, I remember kind of wrestling through this and because it's one thing to be a missionary while we're, you know, and to steward our lives, our time, our talent, and our treasures when we're actually on a mission trip. It all makes sense to us, right? When we think about stewarding time, talent, and treasure when we're on a trip. I remember going on a trip in Honduras, and it was um, a, a family. It was a few years back. It was actually 2005, and so it was only four of us, and Angie was actually pregnant um, with my, one of my daughters, my youngest daughter, Briaya. And so we were there for 77 days. We were there for 77 days, and we was in a place called La Mosquitia in, in Puerto Limpira, which is the indigenous um, part of, or the remote part of Honduras. And I remember being there, but during that time, there was a lot of ups and downs. There was a lot of um, tragedy, a lot of things that were there. And we were in this hotel room, and this hotel room couldn't have been any bigger than a 12 by 12 room. So all of us, all four of us, were in this small room for 77 days, and we were there. We didn't know the language really, but we were um, trying to learn, and we were there. And so in the, in those, the first couple of weeks of being there, right, um, we, had a, we had a couple of interpreters. The first interpreter, his, his father died while we were there, so he had to leave us. So we were there by ourselves, trying to figure it out. And then right after that, we got another um, interpreter. He turned out to be a drug addict, stole from us, stole our bike. And so it was just really some hard times. And we was just like, man, this is hard, Lord. Like, what's going on? And so really it was at that time we said, man, let's kind of put like, like let's put a map or timeline on and basically let's number our days. Let's focus in because we wanted to remember that, that this, this hardship that we have is only a momentary affliction. That these are things that are, can take us off track, but this is not really, we, we've been called for a purpose, called for a reason. And the reason why we created this calendar was to give us some perspective. Perspective of what it looks like to be a generous steward and to remind us that we were missionaries, that we were sent there. We needed something to focus our time and our attention as we set it out to accomplish what God is doing. We wanted to steward our priorities well. But as missionaries, basically, we desired, as we tried to steward our time, our talent, our treasure, just imagine in this time that if we were there in, you know, in the midst of this 12 by 12 room and, you know, we were just like, man, this is not comfortable for us. We got to fix this up. Like, we got to paint the place. We got to get it up. Got to change the furniture out. Like, it just sounds really not, 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 not wise, right, to do that. Why? Because you know that you're only there for a limited time. You're only there for a certain time. So that's not good stewardship of your time. That's not good stewardship of your talents. That's not good stewardship of your treasures. To focus all of our energy on trying to make our hotel or our stay as comfortable as possible. 
You see, but the problem is, is that the reality is that so for many of us, we recognize that in a short period of time, but we don't understand it for a lifetime. So the enemy has fooled us and he has tricked us to believe that good stewardship is to buy into the American dream of making life comfortable. And so many of us define God's will by the path of least resistance. Whatever is easier, better, is kind of what God's will. God is always calling me easier, better, never to harder and worse. And the reality is, is that I've recognized that our, many of us, our North Star is that we are addicted to our comfort. And comfort becomes the primary thing. And this is the reason why I can grow in my relationship with God, have good quiet times and do those things. That's great. And, and I can hang around the family, just the family I like, though. But I can hang around those, those people that I love and I like to hang around with and it's good family. But being on mission, that's hard. And I want to steward my time or my talent and my treasures in that way. And so part of what the Bible tells us is that we need to learn how to number our days so that we can stay in the struggle. We can stay in the struggle. I love what the Bible teaches us in Psalm 90 and 12. It says, teach us to number my days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach me to number my days. You know, there was this guy who um, someone mathematically calculated a schedule that compares the average lifetime of, to a single day. So just imagine, right, if he took the average lifetime and he says, if your lifetime was kind of put into a day, this is the way your life would look in terms of the breakdown. And so in here, you see right here that he says that, like, let's just imagine you wake up at 7 a.m., that at the age of 15, it's already 7 a.m. It's 7 a.m. in the morning. But by the time, or I'm, yeah. At the age 15, you're, it's 1025. It's 1025. And then when you get to 25, it's now noon. It's 1242. And at the age of 35, it's 3 p.m. At the age of 45, it's 516. So right now I'm about at 516 p.m. in my life. And then when you get to 55, it's 730. <laughs> 55 is 730. And at 65, it's 955. Some of you guys who are early night go, go to bed early. You're like, oh. But at the age of 70, it's 11 p.m. You see, right here, basically, it's a sobering reality that as you begin to think about kind of your clock, and this is what David was saying is, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we don't think, because some of us think that we're just going to live for eternity, right, on this life, and we're not going to take the, the time to maximize every opportunity to steward our time. And our short-sightedness does not allow us to focus on the mission of God to focus on what really matters. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy. He says, but make eternal investments that those can't destroy, that's not going to destroy, that can't be taken. More, Matthew Henry says it this way, it, is our, it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for that day. 
Martin Luther said it this way. There's only two important calendars on his day, today and that day. That we live every day as a gift that God has given us. And once we recognize that it's a gift that God has given us, then and only then will we faithfully steward our time, our talent, and our treasures to fulfill God's purposes. What am I saying? What am I saying? This is what I'm saying. Stewardship of your time, your talent, your treasure, stewardship is not a subcategory of the Christian life. Stewardship is the Christian life. How you manage your time, your talent, and your treasure is how you're cultivating your relationship with God, and it matters each and every day. So there's three points that I want to take, to take us away in a, in a short time just to kind of drive home what we see in Ephesians chapter 5. The first one I want to look at is this word that you see oftentimes in your Bible, and this is just the, the, the first point. If, you just, if you're taking notes, just write this down. Therefore, walk. Therefore, walk. If we embrace, if we understand that stewardship is not a subcategory of the Christian life, but it is the Christian life, and we recognize kind of what the gospel and what he's done, that we have already embraced, that we're gospel-centered believers, that we're responsible siblings, and we're indigenous disciple-makers, that we embrace our identity, the therefore walk is now the stewardship that we have. And this is a theme that we see over and over throughout the Bible. Right here in verse 15 that it starts, and that word therefore is not translated like that in the, the, um, in the CSB, which we have up here, but it is translated in other translations that the word there um, is therefore. Therefore, pay careful attention then to how you walk. And the CSB it just takes that word, therefore, and puts it into verse 14 as a, as a way to combine. But other translations puts it right here. Therefore, pay careful attention then to how you walk. And Paul's writings are all made up of these two kind of categories. One, there's this English word called indicatives. But then there's, as they have these indicatives, they're also there what we call imperatives, Imperatives. For example, what we see in the book of Romans, if you walk through the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters are the indicatives. It is saying that you have been saved by grace through faith, that it's a gift of God, not of works. And, all, and it takes 11 chapters to say that. that and then, then in chapter 12, verse 1, it is, Paul goes and it says, Therefore, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God. What are the mercies? The last 11 chapters. That he's taking 11 chapters to describe God's mercies so that he can get to the therefore. You see, one of, when we recognize Paul's theology, one of the things that we have to come to grips with is that no matter where we are, Paul says that if there's a problem, if there's disunity, if there's tension that's going on, there's something that we're not believing about the gospel. So what we see over and over again is this gospel message. And so he preaches the gospel. He says, let me clarify to you the gospel. And then he does all of that, whether it's in Ephesians, in Galatians, in Romans. He gets us to the point. So he says, all right, therefore, so let me get to the matter at hand. Are we clear here? And all of the before is the indicative. That's the indicative. That is focusing on what Christ, who Christ is and what Christ has done. All right? So these, are, these indicatives are basically, they're facts. 
And basically, he's building his case that if you believe the gospel, there is a therefore. So the question that you may have heard before, when, whenever you see that word in your Bible, therefore, you need to ask the question, what is therefore, therefore? And in doing that, basically, we recognize that we want to identify what the facts are, what God has done, so that we can see what the imperatives are in light of that, what is now God calling us to do. This is what God has done, so now he is calling us to do something. And so there's these indicatives and there's the imperatives that we see um, that we have. So the imperative can be focused on what do we think, what we do, how, what we believe. It's a response to what God has done. Imperatives are statements. They're, they're directional statements. They, they are authoritative statements, right? They, get, they have a certain expectation of obedience there. Therefore is a thing that bridges the gap between these indicatives and these imperatives. Therefore is what we call a term of conclusion. In light of what I said, we need to do. Therefore is what bridges the gap between orthodoxy, what we believe, and orthopraxy, how we live. That when we see the Bible, Paul oftentimes uses these words, therefore, as a reaction, as a response to what has happened in the past. They serve us as a transition. And it's important, order is important that you understand it in this way. Because if you flip the order, you will have something, but you won't have gospel. If you start with the imperatives in order to get the indicative, you've missed it. Therefore is there for a reason. So when you read the word therefore, you've got to look at what you've got to read before so that we can know what he's calling us to do after. Why is that, in, why is that important? Because it does. Right here, we, we talked about in gospel-centered believers that the grid about the difference between um, the hard-hat identity and a, the gospel-centered believer, right? Go to the, the other one first. That if we put the, the imperatives before the indicatives, if we put our response before what God has done, this is what you get, the hard hat. What do we start with? I got to be obedient and I got to sacrifice in order to earn God's love. And what does that produce? He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And he loves you is based upon how you have done with your imperatives. And then there we have, if we put Therefore, because I'm obedient, because I sacrifice, therefore, God loves me. God loves me. That's what we call the hard head identity. That's what we call in the Bible legalism. That's what we call performing Christianity. That's what we call burnout. Because you're never going to be obedient enough and sacrifice enough in, to earn God's love. The gospel says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So this is why that's not good news. That's not good news. But you see, the other side is that when we put the indicatives before the imperatives, what we see is in the gospel-centered believer that is that we start off with just simply need. The Bible says, come to me as a newborn babe. Come to me with just neediness. And as I come to you with neediness, basically what we do with our neediness is that we cry out. And when we cry out, God shows up and he's present. And when he's present, he establishes our love before we've done anything to earn his salvation. Before we've done, we've just simply cried out to the one who can help us. 
And he shows up and his presence shows and it reestablishes. And, and now, therefore, we now sacrifice and we're obedient. That's the gospel. You see, but we've got to first get the indicatives, what God has done, so that we can get to the imperatives, our response to what God has done. And we don't keep God's indicatives based upon our imperative. Because the Bible says God is faithful even when we're faithless. He put Abraham asleep when he made a covenant with him. He says, you're not going to be able to keep your covenant, your side of the covenant. So I'm going to walk through and make a covenant with myself. You see, so when we recognize the therefore, it is important to recognize what the therefore is there for. Basically, it comes down to this, that the entire Christian life may be built on our understanding of therefore. On the therefore. This is what Paul is saying over and over and over again. We're not obviously going to go through it today, but just go back and reread from chapter 4 through chapter right now 5 and 6. 5.15. And what you're going to see is multiple therefores. You see, what did he do? Is that he walked us throughout the text. Remember what he said. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians chapter 2 and 10. And if you recognize in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 and in Ephesians 3, there's not much that we're doing. There's not much. It's God's work. It's what God is doing. And so as God is working, as God is doing, Paul says he, he, he creates this beautiful masterpiece. He says, we have been created in Christ Jesus, of that, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Paul says, let me get to the good works later, but first, let me first make sure that you understand that you're created in Christ Jesus. Four good works, four good works. And the four good works is when we get to Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians chapter 4, 1, we see the first therefore. It says, therefore, walk in unity. That's Ephesians 4, 1 through 10. And then it goes on. Basically, it talks about we fight for unity. We fight for gospel clarity. We fight for maturity. It moves on to Ephesians 4, 17, and we get the second therefore. Therefore, and it talks about walk in our identity. That he says that you are one new man. He says that the gospel changed you. You've been changed. So you need to walk in light of that. Romans chapter 5, he says, if grace just abounds, why don't I just sin more? He says, man, never be. Why? Because you have been changed. He who died with Christ has been raised with Christ. The gospel changes people. You see, the problem is, is that you haven't allowed the gospel to truly change you. The gospel changes people. Right? He says, therefore, walk in this new identity. He then goes on, and then verse um, 425, he talks about walk in the truth. Walk in the truth of it. And he says, listen, don't speak falsehood to one another. Speak the truth in love. So he gives us another therefore. He then moves on to chapter 5, and he says, be imitators of God as I, as I imitate God. And he says, the way God manifests himself is through love. And this is 5, 1 through 6. He says, walk in love. So in here, we see these therefore walk, therefore walk, walk in unity, therefore walk in love, therefore walk in truth. Verse 7 and 8, he says, therefore walk in the light, not in darkness, but in the light. Sin loves to hide itself. He says, no, walk in the light. And then he ends it off right here with this last therefore. And he says, therefore walk in wisdom. 
Therefore, walk in wisdom. You see, we got to recognize that being a generous steward is about the therefores and embracing our identity as gospel-centered believers, responsible siblings, indigenous disciple-makers. Therefore, we do all of our time, talent, and treasures to serve him. We leverage. And what we recognize is that there's the disciplines that bridge that. The reason why we give to, in worship, the reason why we spend time with the, the, him in the Lord, the reason why we spend time in prayer and discipline ourselves, is not to say I'm good with God. I gave you my 10%, God, we're good. I gave you my first 15 minutes of the day, we're good. That's not what that's for. Spiritual disciplines are there to remind us that you are weak and that not just 10% of your life is God, but all of it's God's. So I give my 10% to remind me that 100% is his. So I, they're, they're reminders because we recognize that I love me some me. You love you some you. Your favorite subject is yourself. And that if, if you didn't have these reminders that it's not about you, then what will end up happening is that you will find yourself at the end of your payday, end of your checkbook, your bank account, your bank statement, and if you look at it, it's all about you. You look at your time that you just spent this last week, and you recognize it was all about me. You look at how you're spending your talent, and you're just like, man, I love me some me. You see, but what he's saying is, no, that these disciplines are to remind us this is not about you. So we do this to remind ourselves. But this is not about us, and that's what stewardship is. It leads us to as a reminder, as a gospel reminder that I'm supposed to be a gospel-centered believer, a responsible sibling, an indigenous disciple-maker. And it helps us to walk in wisdom. So let's pick back up um, this idea of walking in wisdom. And that's the second point. He says, therefore, pay careful attention to how you walk. And he says, not as unwise, but as wise. Unwise is somebody who just don't know. They, they just don't know. But as wise. He says, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish. Foolish is someone who does know, but don't care. Unwise is someone who don't know. Foolish is I know. I've been raised in the church. I've heard this already before, but still just do whatever you want to do. Don't be foolish, but it says, but understand the Lord's will. Understand the Lord's will. We're talking about stewardship. Stewardship is about faithfully managing the resources of, our, of the owner. We are, that God owns our time. He's going to appoint the day how much time you have. He gave you how much talent you have. He gives you how much money that he's going to allow you to have. The question becomes is how are you going to steward your time, your talent, your treasure? And, and it's important for you to know what God's will is. So he's telling us to walk in wisdom. He's telling us to walk as a generous steward. And what I love as he is applying this, therefore, he basically gives us these words that are stewardship words, Right? And when he talks about these in stewardship words that he goes back to Ephesians chapter 4, 1, he says, Paul says, don't you realize that I'm a prisoner of Christ? I'm a doulos. I'm a bondservant. That Christ has given me freedom. I, I could be free, but I've been embedded. And I'm making myself a slave. Not because I have to, but because I desire. Because he gave it everything for me. It's in response Paul says, I am controlled, I am compelled by God's love. I am in debt 
to it. The gospel changes people, and God uses people to change the world. The problem is, is that too many of us don't see the gospel as good news anymore. We don't see the gospel as good news. You see, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 17. He says it like this. He talks about his indebtedness to God. He says, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted. That word in there is I am in debt with a commission. It's not up to us. If we are followers of Jesus, it is not up to us. We are indebted. What does that mean, that word to be in debt? I was thinking about how to play this out, and so I got a whopping $5 right here. And when I think about this $5, if I were to say, Talon, come get this $5 for me. Come on, come on, Talon. Don't be ashamed. This is like the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. So if I were to give Talon this $5, and I said, Talon, I'm giving you this $5 in order for you to give it. Who, who, who needs $5 here? Look, there's only a couple of people. See, because the gospel ain't good news. It's not, it's not enough money. If it was 100, I'd give, I, we'd have more hands up. Right? So we're going to give it to Zoe. Zoe's right behind the camera right there. So, and everybody saw, and everybody was looking at her, right? What just took place was about stewardship. It's about being entrusted. God has given us something, the gospel. But when I gave it to her, was that for her? No, it was never for her. It was there for her to have it, but then to give it. I know it was only $5, but at some point you think like, thank you, I I would love to keep this. Like, did you want to keep it a little bit? Yeah, like you had the desire to want to get like, this is good, and if I give it away, then I'm not going to have it. Right? And that's a lot of times the way we see things. That's why I love my children, especially when they were young. It's like, they would just go out and give a lot of things. Hey, yo, you need some money out here. They would just give their lunch money. They would give the money away. Why? Because it was just like, I know where to get more. Right? I know where to get more. And so it was just like, I'll just give it away because I'll just go back and ask daddy or mommy for more. And, that, and that's the way we do it. But so many of us that we are so afraid to give away what has been given to us because if we do, then I'll be without. And we've lost the fact that we have been indebted. God gave us this so that he can, we can give it away. That we are stewardship. And what do we see? The whole of you guys was watching her as she was going on to see, was she going to be faithful to steward the $5 of what the owner had in mind for it? And that's what God is asking. All of heaven, all of the heavens and the earth is looking at us. And he's asking us the question, are we going to be steward? Are we going to faithfully steward what God has entrusted in us? Are we just going to hold it all in for ourselves? It's, It's tempting to hold it in. So we talked about this idea of what is those words of stewardship. By the way, so I need my five dollars back. It was just the illustration. <laughs> no, but, but, but that's really the idea of what we're trying to do is that Christianity stewardship is not a subcategory. It is of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. 
It's what this is about. This is what God has given us to steward. It's our covenant that we have. And so when we, as, as we haven't done it in the last year, but before every members meeting, we used to read these words and we read these words that is a part of our covenant. It says, as generous stewards, just to remind us, as generous stewards, I will give joyfully, intentionally, regularly, and sacrificially of my time, my talent, and my treasure to invest in my relationship with God, gospel and believer, our relationship with our family, responsible siblings, and our relationship with our neighbors, indigenous disciple maker. I will give generously to support our ministry, the collective ministry, cover the expenses of the church, and partner in the spread or the advancement of the gospel to all the nations. That's what we hear. It's the therefore. Does that make you any more loved by God? No. God loves you. He loves you. This is a PS. This is a thank you. This is a, in, in light of what you've done for me, I respond back. You see, all of us, we can faithfully steward our time, our talent, and treasures. If you give me a time and a space, for 77 days, I think I can get it. I can muster it up. If I go on a short-term mission trip, I can do it for that period of time. If I even go on a short trip, I can do it for that time. But God, but how do you ask me to do this for a lifetime? If I do this for a lifetime, who's going to be thinking about me? Who's going to care about me? You see, this type of thing doesn't happen by your flesh, by you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. This only thing happens by what Paul recognizes is by walking with the Spirit. And as we close, we're going to close with this, 5, 18 through 21. After he tells us that we need to be good stewards and walk with wisdom, he says the only way you can truly walk with wisdom all the time is walking with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, he says, don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless living. Don't get drunk with the worldly stuff. Don't get caught intoxicated with whatever your addiction. We talk about wine here, but really you can substitute any addictive pattern, anything that you do to get away from the pain of life. Don't be controlled by any other substance, which leads to reckless living. But it says, but be filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. And we're going to break down what that means. He says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another in the fear of Christ. He gives us this command, and there's only one command in there, and that command, that imperative, the therefore, there, is, is therefore, is therefore to let us know to be filled with the Spirit, walk in wisdom, but walk by being filled with the Spirit. That word to be filled with the Spirit simply means to be controlled by the Spirit. It's an imperative, but it's also right here we see it as a result of what talks about. There's a debate of what it means. Is it a means to being filled with the Spirit, or is it a result of being filled with the Spirit? If I'm filled with the Spirit, do these things happen, or do I need to do these things in order to be filled with the Spirit? And I think there's not an either or, but it's a both and, that this is written. These verbs in here are written as a participle. A participle. And a participle is the same way when it says baptizing, teaching, obeying, that these are words that are, that are used, that, that in this text is basically both can be used um, as kind of an adjectival, but also um, in the sense of how we go about um, both the results and doing. And these four commands of being filled with the Spirit, I want you to recognize that they have, there's both vertical and horizontal implications. If you go back and look at them, there's vertical and horizontal 
implications, right? Right, so when we see it right here, it talks about the first one, speaking to one another. It starts off with that relationship that we have to one another, that, that when it says speaking to one another, that is a result in a, in a command to speak to one another. How do we speak to one another? And what I love about it is that we're singing, that there, there's this, this kind of adoration, there's this praise. It says in Psalms, Psalms was used in worship to give worship to God. In hymns, hymns was a things that, that they used both in the Christian world and the secular world at that time that you eulogize, that is a sign of grief and lamenting that was taking place. So in psalms and in hymns, and, and then he gives a catch-all in spiritual songs right here that he's like in every area of life that you are to speak spiritual vitality into one another. You see, he said that in our fellowship, when we're speaking to one another, we got to invite Jesus back into our conversations. That is, that is something wrong with us hanging out with Christians and our conversation is no different than the world's conversations. That he says, no, speak this. Understand that even as we're speaking to one another, we need to be praising one another, lifting one another up as we lift to God, making music. And then it goes on and says, singing and making music with our hearts to God. To the Lord, and there's the vertical. He starts with the horizontal that we need to speak to one another, but we need to speak vertically, making sure that our hearts are properly aligned with God. He says, giving thanks always to everything to God. That there's, again, this vertical relationship that we have, that we're constantly thankful for the grace of God. But then he ends it off with the horizontal. He bookended. And then he ends with, he says, submitting one to another. One to another in the fear of Christ. And that word fear just simply means in reverence of Christ. We are to love one another because we understand and we revere Christ. You see, so in here, when we recognize this, there's three things and we'll end. Three things that I want you to take away. That being filled with the Spirit is a passive command. It's a passive command. You ask, what is a passive command? Being filled with the Spirit is about giving up control. God is going to do the filling, but we got to allow him to do it. So many of us have not experienced the, the Spirit-filled life is because we're not allowing God to, to pour into us. It's because we allow our pride, God, I got this. I do it. I. Being a, but it says it's a passive command. God is doing the work. And so whenever we see that the difference is talked about in the scriptures is baptism of the spirit. Baptism of the spirit is about identifying with God. Filling of the spirit is about being controlled by God. So when we see being filled with the spirit, it means that we are controlled by the spirit. And so we recognize this idea and we use our disciplines to surrender ourselves. And that's why when we say that, you know, the indicatives and what we recognize what God has done, the imperative is now, I, present, I beseech you, therefore, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you would what? Present. Present. That means you would yield. You would yield. He doesn't say, come fight with me. He says, yield. Just give it up. Give up control. And when you yield the Spirit, you give the Spirit some room to take control. You see? But so it's a passive command. But not only is it a passive command, being filled with the Spirit is an ongoing command. 
It's an ongoing command. You see, this is written in, it's a word that they talk about, it's written in the perfect present. So we talked about being filled with the Spirit. It's not automatic and it's not a one-time event. It's not a one-time thing. It's not like I'm filled with the Spirit and I keep the Spirit being filled with Him for the rest of life. The difference between baptism of the Spirit is that once you are baptized by the Spirit, that Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit never leaves you. Now your walk, the sanctification of your walk is based upon how much or how little control you actually give the Spirit into your life each and every day. How much control that you have. And there's a, this is an ongoing command. That I could be filled with the Spirit right now and not filled with the Spirit in an hour. But it's every day. It's our responsibility to constantly yield. That's our response is to yield ongoing. And he was just like, Daddy, well, I'm good at the 70 days, but I can't do a lifetime. I can't do a lifetime. But it's a, it is an ongoing command. It's an ongoing imperative. And lastly, being filled with the Spirit is a joyful command. It's a joyful command. Being filled with the Spirit is joyful. Why? Because it's all about giving praise. Like I've already said before, this whole, all these verses was in the context of giving praise. Giving praise to our Lord. Giving praise to Jesus. Why? Because if you read about the Holy Spirit in the Bible, the Spirit loves to brag about Christ. He loves talking about Jesus. He loves, it's just like, is this, he says, he, you know, Jesus said in John 14, 15, 16, he says, I'm going to send you the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, man, he's just going to always talk about me. He's going to lead you in the truth. He's going to brag about me. He's going to lift me up. It's like, that's what the Spirit loves to do. He loves to, to glorify Jesus. And so what we see is that the Spirit loves and there's this joyful. When we surrender, there's this joy that comes up, that desires to be filled with him. Right? And what I love about it is that it's done in the context of the we, not just the me. All of us, that is done in the context of relationship, our relationship vertically and our relationship horizontally, that we, we get to worship our king together. That's why they say that hallelujah is the highest praise. It's the highest praise. Because there's something about when the saints of God come together to worship God. That is. And so this is where we have to recognize and I was talking to Pastor Lucius this week, and one thing that he reminded us, he says, each and every one of us as born-again believers that we're all worship leaders. We're all worship leaders. And while we get a chance to be changed by the gospel in our worship with God, we then are allowed to bring others into God's presence until they find joy in their worship to God. Piper says it this way. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. That's our motivation. We want to keep being on mission, stewarding all of our time, all of our talent, and all of our treasures until we see the world worship our Lord and our Savior. So what we're doing is that we're simply wanting to shift our collective mentality from a family of members to a family of missionary disciple makers. And we define our missionary disciple makers as people are growing in the gospel in the context of family while being on mission. They have embraced the identity of gospel-centered believers, responsible siblings, indigenous disciple-makers, and generous stewards. They decide to embrace the indicatives so they can live out the imperatives. But that imperative is only living out by walking wisely and walking with the Spirit and being controlled by the Spirit. You can't do this on your own. 
you need to discipline yourselves to get connected with him. And this is why as a church, we're saying when you're weak, we can be strong and we don't want to do this by ourselves. And so what we said is for the next 78 days, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our collective gospel witness as a church. We're going to pray. And as we pray for the next 78 days for our collective gospel witnesses, that God would allow us to use all of our time, our talent, and treasure to be effective missionaries for his name's sake. So we talk about praying. The second thing was that we're going to partner. We're going to partner together with our city groups, that we're not doing this alone, but as in, in our city groups. We're going to partner together to remind one another, to encourage one another, to be praying that God would do something supernatural in our day, that we would pray for revival. And then lastly, we want to participate. That we want, as an act of discipline, over this next nine months, that we want to, with a group of people, to go on mission, to go on a mission trip. And that may be um, to Clarkston, that may be to a different part of the city, or it may be overseas. Because I really believe that God does something. That God uses missions as a tool to grow your faith to grow you. And I believe it's, it's, it's my responsibility as a pastor of this church to get you guys to embrace all of Christ, the person and his work, so that we can experience the abundant life. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the grace that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, I know I, I went long, Lord, but God, I had much to say. You had much to say. And so, Father, I pray God, that you would sift through our hearts, through the distractions, through our minds, Father, and that people would embrace what you have called us to be. Father, we desire to be conduits of your grace. And for those who don't desire, Lord, I pray that you would work on their heart now. Lord, that they would redeem the time, knowing that it's high time to awake out of sleep, to awake out of sleep. Father, we love you, we need you, and we bless your name, Father, and we give it all the praise, the honor, and glory. And Father, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, that have been living this life in the hard-hat identity, that they would surrender today. They would come and talk to me. They would come talk to Lucia. They would come talk to someone. Lord, and say, what must I do to live in light of the indicatives of what Christ has done? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.